Well, as many of you know, we were studying through the book of James. I was not intending on going back and reviewing this lesson. Well, we just briefly touched on this passage on Wednesday. Thursday and Friday, I saw uh, some unusual posts on the old uh, interweb. Some interesting things said about congregations veering off. I think some other people here have seen some of those uh, articles also. I think one of them was posted in the Christian Chronicle, and I can't remember the other. And I saw some interesting comments also that were made regarding uh, specific individuals. And I was saddened by a number of those. And so as I was thinking about it, I'm going to come back and spend a little bit of time on this. Specifically, we're going to, we're going to talk uh, about Jude and what he makes uh, as far as a statement in Jude 1.3. Hopefully this will be beneficial, one, for us to be reminded of it, too, for those maybe who are searching for this online and trying to have an understanding about uh, contending for the faith and what the faith all includes. But let's start off talking a little bit about Jude. Now, Jude 1.3 contains a statement which gives us quite a bit of information pertaining to the author. Uh, and gives us some information also about for this faith for which all of us are told to contend for. Let's listen to Jude 1.3 as I read through it. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Let's start off talking about Jude for just a, a second now. We covered a, just briefly some of this in Bible study, but in Jude in verse 1, he describes himself as the brother of James, and he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. And that's a very interesting statement for one who, who is writing. Uh, he emphasizes his relationship to Christ as a servant. He doesn't outright say that he is Christ's brother, but he was. Matthew 13, 55 says, is, this, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So yes, this is Jesus' brother. Now here's the interesting part, and for those maybe who have not done much studying, what initially did his brethren think about him? And why is that important for somebody who is there reading through the book here of Jude why would it be important for somebody to know that? Well, here's what they really thought about Jesus initially during His ministry. Listen to John 7, 3-5. His brethren therefore said unto Him, Depart hence and go out, or go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world." Now, why did they say this? You see it in the very next sentence. For neither did his brethren believe in him. So Jude is very interesting in that he is writing this letter, and yet this is a man who at one time didn't believe in his own brother, and now he does. And you may say, why? Well, there's no doubt that the re resurrection had actually occurred. There's no doubt that these miracles that he was doing were actually taking place, and so... Based on all that evidence, including the resurrection, they've now, he's now come to these, this conclusion that, yes, Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And now he calls himself a servant of Christ. So it's a very unusual way for him to identify himself. 
He says, I'm the servant of Jesus Christ, and he mentions who his brother is. And so for those that knew him would know the lineage that he has uh, as far as his family. Why would he do that? I don't know for sure. Uh, there's a number of reasons he may have done it. Perhaps he wanted them really to uh, accept this letter for the message that it contained, not so much more for who it was that was the author. The letter of Jude is very short. It's pretty much right to the point as you begin to read through it. It's just one chapter, very brief letter. Uh, and he basically has an urgent appeal for the readers or the hearers and he wants, to warn them, he wants to warn them about the fact that they are in a state of apostasy. Now here's what's interesting. His letter is really a follow-up to what we find in Peter's warning in 2 Peter. And Peter says this, he says, There's false teachers that are coming, so you should be warned. And then Jude follows up and says, Guess what? It's already upon us. They're here. Peter warns about it happening, and I'm telling you, that's already taken place. There is apostasy taking place within the church. Now, that wasn't his initial desire when he began to write the letter. His initial desire was not to write about false teachers. Uh, his initial desire was really to write about our common salvation. And Jude noted, he mentions the change in direction. Let me go back and read it again, Jude 1.3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, that's what he was going to talk about, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So he was going to write about that, but he says, I, I see another purpose that I need to write about. Now it's interesting, he says it was needful. Well, finding that the church was going into apostasy, he feels the need to come back and to follow up. Really, as Peter was saying, it's going to happen and he's... He's saying it, it, it's actually taking place. And he says there's a need for us to contend. Now, if you go back and you begin to look at how needful or concerned he was, when you begin to go look up that word, needful, it really means to be totally distressed or to be stressed out or to feel some type of an urgent need to write to them. And so he's extremely concerned about the fact that the church has got apostates coming in. And guys, when apostates come in, the end result is apostasy. Now anybody can go back and begin to, to begin to look at the history and you can see where apostasy did begin to take place right there towards the end of the, of the first century. And so he feels this urgent need to go back and to warn them. Now, here's the, here's the thing I was thinking about as I was reading this. You would think that the hearers would read or hear this message from, Drew, from Jude and they would, they would readily accept it, right? And then I began to think about some things I saw on Facebook this week where one of them was where they were talking about a, a church of Christ that was merging with a local community church. And you would think that would be an urgent warning, right? Much like Jude is trying to warn the church about apostasy taking place. And as I was reading through this, I saw where brethren were actually chastising those who were saying, this is horrible, I can't believe this is taking place. And, and you had other Christians saying, why do you got to be so negative all the time? Why do you got to act like this? They weren't worried about it. And yet the, the posts that I saw were them really warning about, hey, there's apostasy taking place within the churches of Christ. And so much as I wondered to myself, how did the hearers receive this? He says they need to exhort. Now that word exhort, a very interesting word. 
really means to call alongside. He places himself with the other believers in his concern or what should have been a concern for the church. And when I try to apply that to today, we, every one of us within the church, every one of us within each congregation and within each congregations surrounding those other congregations, we should all be worried to the same extent that Jude is about apostasy coming in. If we were, then apostasy wouldn't work its way into these congregations. But Jude places himself with these other believers, and he begins to tell them that they need to contend. Now, that word is not used often within our Scriptures. The word contend there, it's, it's really only used one time within the New Testament. It means to fight, standing upon something which is going to be assaulted in which the enemy wants to take away from you. It's kind of like standing on a hill. When a, when a soldier stands on a hill and he's defending himself and the enemy wants to take that hill. Why? Well, they want the hill. This is the same idea with the word here for contend. They want to take what it is that you have. They want to assault it and take it from you. And so you need to fight. Okay, Retain your position is really what he's saying. The point is, is you need to... You need to hold your ground steadfastly. And so he says to contend for the faith that was once delivered. Now, I'm going to focus in for just a second on that phrase, the faith. We talked a little bit about that on Wednesday, and I think this is what was not understood by those on social media who were, who were uh, I guess, condescending to the message where he was saying, you know, listen, this Church of Christ is now merging into this community church. And those that were condescending did not understand that those two groups originally had different faiths. When I say faiths, I mean the ways in which they practiced, the things in which they believed. And so he says that they need to contend for this faith which was once delivered. I point that out to say that the faith that was once delivered within our New Testament, we see variations over time so much to the point where they no longer resemble that faith that was once, get, once given. Now, I want to consider the statement, the opening statement by Jude as he's pointing this out. He's, he's telling them they need to contend for the commands given to us by inspiration. Okay? He's worried about the church. And you see it in his opening statement in which he addresses this. He, he, was, he was very soft and almost intimate in his initial approach. He calls the fellow Christians hearing the message or receiving it, beloved ones. And he was concerned about them, and he was concerned about the purity of the church, which is why he says they need to contend. Now, in verses 1 and 2, he speaks about God's love, and then he refers to his own love. He was extremely sincere. I don't doubt that one bit. And he's extremely practical. And this is something we need to all remember. Practical love is one that moves, and it acts in such a way as to not only help others, but to help others to help themselves. For congregations at this time who may have had apostates within it, the only way they could help themselves is to have a knowledge of what was taking place, right? Today, sometimes when that happens and you begin to tell someone how they can help themselves and you give them knowledge, they, they don't like it. They think it's hurtful. They think it's, it's being mean. For a person to be in a position of safety, they need to have an understanding of the danger around them. Okay, 
And that's really what Jude is doing. He, he wanted them to have knowledge about what was taking place. He's trying to opening, opening their eyes uh, to the situation. Now, again, I, I mentioned he was going to initially talk about their common salvation. Let me point out a couple of things regarding that common salvation. And I want this to be very to the point, not only for us within the church to remember, but for those maybe that are watching this online. Common salvation means everybody is saved the same way. Let that sink in for a minute. Common salvation. All Christians in the first century became Christians the same way. And they were all part of the same body. That's why Jude is telling them we have to contend for the faith, the one faith, right? There was just one church, different bodies in different cities, but just one church, just one doctrine, one teaching, one faith, okay? That's common salvation. They didn't have any of the, not yet, to the full extent. They didn't have different religious groups as far as denominations go, okay? So first, since it's common, nobody is any better than anybody else. We were all saved the same way, and the, the worth of our souls is all equal, okay? Second, our salvation is something that we can have more understanding about and more knowledge about. Listen to 2 Peter 3.18. He says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We can continue to grow in our understanding of the faith, and I think we do all the time. It requires a lot of deep study. But Jude here is convinced that he needs to write to them about what is taking place and to be honest, he's talking about false teachers. If apostasy is coming in, then there are those who are teaching things that are, are not right. And so he's going to do what needs to be done, and he's going to say what needs to be said. And some would say, as they're reading through this, well, this is, lacks a little bit of love. He's kind of right to the point, kind of in your face, as he begins to call out the apostasy that's taking place. And some would even maybe say he's trying to cause division. He's trying to do the complete opposite of that. He's trying to remove division within the body by calling out what is taking place so that correction can be made and the body can be one, united under one faith, right? That's what he's trying to do. Well, he's going to write about the attack on their salvation, the attack on the body of Christ. Let's talk about this statement about faith. He talks about the faith. And he says, this one faith, this faith is what you need to contend for. Well, it doesn't render the same way in the Greek as it does in the English, but there's a definite article there. And really in the Greek, it would probably be better, better more defined or read out, at least in the English language, if you're going to read it. The one and only faith. There's just one faith, the one and only faith, the one that was delivered. Let me pause for a second. Today, when you talk about there being one church, clearly anyone can read through their Bible, and we see that there was one church. We see there was one faith. And that's easy for one who's reading through your Scriptures. But if you were to talk to people today about that, would they understand that or would they agree with it? And the answer would be, for the most part in a religious world, they would not. Uh, I read an article this morning in which there was the gentleman claimed um, 10 different 
ways to be, ten gospel plans of salvation. I don't know where he came up with the number. But anyways, he was using each gospel plan of salvation to point out what he believed was a false religious group. Okay, He didn't put the names of the religious group. I would have gone ahead and just wrote the name in here, but he didn't. But he was basically attacking different religious groups. So since he didn't put the names in there, I'll kind of put it in there. He was like, these people think they're saved like this. And he was talking about the Baptists. And then he said, these people think they're saved like this. And he was talking about the Catholics. And then he said, these people think they're saved like this. And he was talking about the churches of Christ. And I began, I read all the way through there. And it was funny as I read through it, I'm like, yep, need that one, but I'm not a Catholic. Yep, need that one, yeah, but I'm not a Baptist. Yeah, you know, almost all that stuff was included, okay? The guy tried to do it in such a way as to not call anybody out. Well, that's not really what, Jude, it's really not what Jude's going to do. His comments really come across as pretty straightforward. There's just one faith out there, uh, and he, there's only one faith to believe. And again, today that's confusing to others because they just heard what I said, and they said, no, you're right, there's not just one faith. There's the Baptist faith, the Catholic faith, the Pentecostal faith, whatever faith there is, and the list goes on and on. The difference is, is today there's such thing as political correctness, but within the first century there was not. Jude didn't care about political correctness. What did he care about? He cared about his brothers and sisters in Christ and the fact that apostasy was moving into the congregations and was endangering their salvation. He cared about the fact that there was only one faith, but his brothers and sisters in Christ are being told something else. And so again, he cared about the fact that this congregation could be a lost to apostasy. Now, as we talk about the faith, I have to point something out. There are many different uses of the word faith. And none of them can be separated from any of the others. So let me explain it this way. Faith can be used to describe a number of different elements within a person's overall system of faith. But none of those contradict or dismiss the other definitions. Okay, let me help you out a little bit on this. There's understanding and accepting faith. Most of you are very familiar with Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, what kind of faith? Well, he's going to help us out. It's impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Belief requires us to accept facts, and that belief drives our actions. Okay, So there is an understanding and then accepting faith, where I understand it and then I do it. There's also a faith which includes the trust that I must have as a follower of God. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so we have the elements of understanding and accepting, and yet we also have the element of trust being included within our faith. Certainly, as I already mentioned, you can't remove the idea of obedience from one's faith, which many religious groups will try to do. And the author that I read this morning who was talking about people trying to be saved by faith and by works, Apparently that person had never read the book of James, and I actually went and looked up their qualifications for uh, their writing that theological article, and guess what? They had zilch, zero. Zero. They, didn't, they had no qualifications whatsoever. Matter of fact, their background was in, um, was in computer or something, so I would urge him to go back and read the book of James. He didn't understand that obedience is uh, required. Listen to Galatians, uh, or sorry, Hebrews 3, 18 and 19. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not, 
So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief is tied in with the not completing of action required by somebody. That is considered unbelief. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, it's unbelief, okay? Certainly there has to be a obedient faith tied to action. Their steadfast faith, Galatians 3, 7 through 9, know, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. There's a number of things included in faith. Now we're going to go back and focus on what Jude actually says because he talks about contending for the faith. This is the system of faith. This is the body of doctrine that one must believe. Now to sum it up, it is the New Testament teaching. Again, that word, uh, the faith, is talking about the entire system. We oftentimes use the word the gospel, uh, the euangelion, the good news. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.1 and tell me if, if doctrine is not important. Because majority of religious groups today will say there's no such thing as doctrine. There's no such thing as doctrine. That's not what Paul writes to Timothy. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Do you guys want to know how the Spirit speaks to us? Our Bible was given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you want to hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you, open up your Bible and read it. It is in written form. That is how the Holy Spirit, He revealed to these men by inspiration in words, and they recorded those words. That is how the Holy Spirit speaks. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing doctrines, seducing spirits, and doctrines of demons. So there is such thing as doctrines of demons. Now notice this in Galatians 1.23. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. That, that phrase there, the faith, comparing it to the group which he was trying to destroy, is Christianity. The faith is the system of of Christianity. That's who he was trying to destroy, was Christians. So when we talk about the faith, we're talking about the entire system that a Christian lives by. Okay, And Jude says we've got to go back and we've got to contend for this faith which people have to believe. Now, he shows that this is something that never, never stops. There's continuous action nonstop that takes place. And that's what the basis of the word in the original language means. It means that you, you start to contend for this, but there is no stopping. There is no end. You start to contend for the true doctrine, and you don't ever give up. You continue to contend and to contend and to contend. And he has to make this statement to them, but in such doing, he then begins to go back and tries to discuss some history to help them out. He wanted them to understand that there's been apostasy of God's people for a very long time. I'm going to read Jude 1, verses 5 through 7. He wanted them to remember this. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Let me pause for a minute. He says, believe not. Were they all believers in God? Well, of course they were. So when he says they believed not, is he talking about a mental understanding of God? No. He's talking about the very fact that they weren't doing what they were told to be doing. 
They disbelieved by not following through in action. Okay? And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Jude begins to remind them about this apostasy that is endangering the church. And he says, this isn't the very first time this has ever happened to God's people. And guys, I'm going to tell you this. We know by looking at the religious world around us today, theirs and ours will not be the last. We will continue to read articles about churches of Christ becoming unfaithful. We will continue to read articles about churches of Christ turning into or changing their names and accepting other doctrines. We will continue to read articles about men who were once faithful ministers of the gospel no longer proclaiming the truth, proclaiming things like preterism and, or whatever you want to call it, realized eschatology or whatever, Mackingism, whatever. My whole point is, is this, we're going to continue to see exactly what they saw. And Jude has no problem calling it out. Now, to many, it comes across as harsh, and that's not my intent. I'm just trying to logically work through what Jude is saying as we make, as we make a uh, application to today. But he tells them this is something they need to worry about, and it's worth their attention. Let me ask you a question. If somebody broke into your house and you felt endangered, how hard would you fight? What if they endangered the family of God? What if you saw the apostasy literally taking place right before your eyes and you knew that your brothers and sisters in Christ were in danger of losing their salvation and falling for, as Paul would say, another gospel which is not another gospel? How concerned would you be? I think that's the approach Jude is taking. His brothers and sisters in Christ literally are at the mercy of these apostates, and he's worried about it. Listen to Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we, are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He gives us the understanding this is, this is a long endurance type of race. It's going to continue on throughout your, your life as a Christian. Now, the root for the word there, contend, suggests in the original language the idea of agony, both mental and physical suffering have occurred for Christians for generations and centuries who have contended for the faith. And I'm not going to go back and talk about a history lesson of all the horrible things we have seen take place for those who are faithful Christians. but. Those things have taken place. And if you really pay close attention, they're still taking place today, primarily in other countries. Uh, I see just last week, and I see, I see churches being burnt to the ground. I see um, Christians being assaulted. And I'm talking about actual Christians in other countries. I get quite often, I get those reports almost on a, on a daily basis from a certain individual. Not long ago, yeah, our, our congregation was burnt to the ground. Uh, this minister got beat up in this part of 
I probably get banned for saying this on YouTube, but he was preaching over in the Muslim area and he got beat up over there. So we think today we have it so bad. It's not so bad in America, but in other countries it's taking place. And it was taking place in the first century. And yet they were willing to contend, to stand up for, to try to stop that apostasy. Now he says this faith had already been delivered. Our King James does the best job really that they can. They, they render this uh, as once, that was once delivered. Again, it's maybe not rendered the best way. It should be really rendered once and for all, completely, thoroughly, um, to the fullest extent. It has been accomplished. The gospel has been completely given out. Uh, the idea is, is it's not open for change. It's not subject to modification. It's not open for removing to or adding to. That's the idea behind the way it's worded. Right? The idea is, is there is no new additional revelation being added to this teaching. It is 100% through and through completed. And the idea is, is there is a church and the doctrine or the teaching of that church is 100% set. So there should be no change. What Jude is saying is, is somebody is trying to change it. There's apostates coming into the body. So you need to contend for that one doctrine. Okay? Because it was once and for all given. It's completed. And he says some are trying to come in and change it. Guys, let me let you in on a little secret. They're still trying to do that today. Like when I read that article and it says this Church of Christ is now merging into the community church within their community. And there are many who are like, that's a great thing. Two bodies working together. And I say, no, that is a despicable, horrible thing that a body that once was known as a faithful congregation and taught the truth is now becoming part of a body which started out of apostasy, who teaches something totally different, which doesn't, which doesn't line up with the one faith once delivered. They're different, okay? Go back to my statement earlier when Jude says there's just one faith. People today can look around and go, there's not just one. And I'm saying the same thing. Logically, there are many different faiths. Jude's saying there should just be one, okay? He's telling them apostates are coming, coming in. They're trying to change this. There are so many warnings we have throughout our scriptures about apostasy. And if you don't really care for James's approach, let me give you just a few others. Let's see what Jesus has to say in Matthew 7, 15. I'll read down to verse 20. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of, grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. What's Jesus saying? There's going to be false teachers. And you need to pay attention because He says they are literally wolves in sheep's clothing, but you can know them based on their fruit. And you may say, well, how do I know what kind of fruit they should have? Well, the only way to know is to go back to the Word of God which describes the system of faith, and find out if what they teach and if what they do matches that. And if it doesn't, it's not part of the faith, the one faith described in our Bible, right? 
But Jesus isn't the only one. Paul says, Galatians 1.8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, then that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. I'm not going to read the next, but he continues to go on, and he says the same thing again. Just in case you didn't get it, if somebody tries to teach you something else that doesn't line up with the New Testament, they are going to be accursed. Okay? He says this in Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Notice this. Remember, doctrine's not important, people will tell you. He says, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Let me make another very plain and logical statement. This is an attack on anybody. Me as a member of the body of Christ, I've been added to the body of Christ. I have a doctrine I follow. Okay? Some try to say the church of Christ doctrine. There's no such thing as church of Christ doctrine. There's biblical doctrine which we as members of the churches of Christ follow. But let me tell you this, there's also Baptist doctrine, they have their own books. Catholic doctrine, they have their own books. You, anybody watching this can go look it up. All these groups have their own doctrine. Okay, Paul says, go back and verify everything that they've written, and if it's contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, avoid them. And guys, when I say this, I'm saying this as lovingly as I could, because nobody told me this as a Catholic. If somebody would have said, hey, Paul says to go compare your Catholic books to the Bible and see if the doctrine matches. Guys, the answer is no. And I would encourage that of anybody in any religious group, including the churches of Christ. Verify that what you believe, what you accept as doctrine, matches the Scriptures. If it doesn't, avoid them. Paul goes on and says this. I'm going to go back to 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now, we already talked about this just briefly. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Compare that to what Paul just says when he says, If they're teaching something contrary to the doctrine, guys, if they're doing that, the doctrine they're teaching is the doctrine of demons. And they are, as he says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Again, his point is, is this. There are people who will come out and teach you lies. They will tell you things that are not true, and the reason is, is they don't care what the New Testament Scriptures teach. Why? Because their conscience is seared. They don't care what it teaches. Listen to what Peter says over in 2 Peter 2.1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. He says, well, there were false prophets before, and just so you realize, there's going to be some that will come into the church. Now, he does tell us the Lord is going to destroy them for their actions. He doesn't say that with excitement. He's basically stating a fact, and that's for anybody who would come in and change the Word of God or try to change the doctrine. We're not saying we're glad that you're going to be lost. We're saying the end result is, is you will be destroyed for your actions. Notice what we find in 1 John 4.1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. What does he say? 
Now, you need to make sure whether or not they're false teachers. Right? Check what it is that they say. Go back and look at what it is that they say. Guys, ask for book, chapter, verse. When someone says, it's interesting that article I read, and I said the guy had no theological background, training, education that I could tell whatsoever. As he listed all of these things, and you can't be saved by this, you can't be... He did not have any verses in the entire article that I read. Not one verse. That should concern you, right? Give me book, chapter, verse. If you say it doesn't matter, show me why it doesn't matter. If you say it does matter, show me why it matters. How do you contend for the faith if you don't refer back to the system of faith found within our Bible? He wasn't contending for anything. He was just writing what he, what he thought. He's giving me his feelings. Listen to 2 John. I'm going to read verses 1, 7 through 11. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Let me pause here. There's no such thing as doctrine. Them church of Christers are always talking about doctrine this, doctrine that. Listen again to what he just says. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. I don't have a doctrine. The church of Christ does not have a doctrine. We follow the doctrine of Christ. You're not attacking us for the doctrine we follow. You're attacking Christ because it is His doctrine. Okay? And whoever abides not in that doctrine, he says, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. The fact that there was going to be an apostasy by unfaithful men was given constantly and repeatedly throughout our scriptures. But so was the method that we used to deal with it. Jude says, contend for the faith. Have you guys ever thought about the fact that contending is not enough? The, the faith has to be delivered and transferred. And when I say that, what I mean is, is from nation to nation and generation to generation. If not, the church will eventually die out. The method of receiving the faith, as he describes here, he's talking about through the Word and delivering it. That's how you deliver the faith. We, the Word, the, the medium for which the faith is delivered is through words, either spoken and or written. And the tense that is used here by Jude when he writes this by inspiration shows that this had already taken place as far as the delivering of the faith. Now, we continue to uh, do the same thing, uh, write down Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. We begin to go out and continue to do the exact same thing to all nations, but again, we're relying back on the written word, the faith. Paul says the exact same thing when he says that the faith, when Jude says the faith had already been given. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. 
Now, let me pause for a second. Many people come here and say this is the core and the only thing that's important, of the go- that, that's important pertaining to the gospel. Let me say this. Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. We have multiple written records from Paul, and he preached much more than what he just condensed in these couple verses. Paul's not saying, this is all that I taught you, and this is all that matters, and I know that because I have his other letters. So for any supposed theologian to come and say, guys, that's all that matters, when Paul says, I preached all these things unto you, we have additional letters. So that person, that theologian with the letters behind their names, needs to go back and read the additional letters before you say this is all that Paul means when he talks about the gospel. It's clearly not true. It's a teaching that would be made by somebody who is apostate, which is what Jude is war- he's warning them about. Guys, we owe it not only to each of us individually and to our congregations uh, and to our families to go out and contend for the faith, We need to be concerned about it because there are people who want to overtake that upon which we stand. And when I say that, I'm talking about the doctrine of Christ. There are those that want us to veer away from that. And if you don't think that's true, go back and read the Christian Chronicle. I don't read it. I just saw the post where it came up. And go back and read the Christian Chronicle and find out, which I'm just going to say it now. The Christian Chronicle has been off for years. I wouldn't read their stuff for anything. But they do talk about a congregation veering off and joining up with a local community church. Guys, if you don't think apostasy is a threat today, go back and just start looking. It is a threat. We should be concerned about it. What Jude is writing there is of utmost concern to us today. We are to be defenders of the faith. And guys, it is a concern because it's, it is through this system of faith by which all souls are saved including ours. And so when I say that there are a lot of people who are being tricked and deceived by an apostate faith, I'm not saying that with happiness. I'm not. I'm concerned for any religious group, I don't care what name you give them, that is believing and following something not found in here, because we know the end result. We ought to feel sad for those people that they've been deceived by apostasy and do the best that we can to contend for the faith and draw them out of it. As I draw this to a close, that's my concern. Are you as worried about apostasy within the church as you should be? I think we all go through times of spiritual highs and lows, and and maybe we even get complacent. I'm probably guilty of it myself, and as I read that article this week, it just really dawned on me just how bad it really can be if we let our guard down. We have to be very careful. Now, as I draw this to a close, my concern would be if there's anyone here who has not yet obeyed the gospel. Very simple to obey the gospel. Um, I will go back and actually I'll do it a little bit different this time. If you want to know how to obey the gospel, go back and read Acts 19, 1 through 5. We began to talk about that, matter of fact, last week. And most people would not go there to talk about how to obey the gospel. But I take you there to say you may have been taught something that was totally wrong, kind of like when Paul shows up and says, Under what were you then baptized? And they said, Well, under John's baptism. Guys, if doctrine didn't matter, Paul would have been like, Oh, that's great. You guys were baptized under John's baptism? <sighs> not a problem. That's not what he did. He said, Oh, yeah, that's a problem. Uh, John's baptism was looking for the Messiah who was going to come, but he's already here. So he went back and taught them correctly, and then they were baptized scripturally. If you're here and you're watching this, here's how you should have been baptized. 
Somebody should have told you who Jesus was and why He came. They should have talked about the establishment of the church, which was needed for His blood, for the remission of sins, and the fact that you have sinned, and there's a consequence for that. So you better believe that He was the Messiah, and you better believe that, as He said, there's just one church, and His blood covers that. When you understand that, you then need to tie in the fact that you're a sinner, and there's a consequence for sin, right? I didn't give you passages. Hebrews 11:6 and John 8:24 for belief. The fact that you're a sinner means there's a consequence, Romans 6, 23. And so you need to repent of that, Luke 13, 3 and 5. That's what we find. You need to confess Christ. It says it's needful for salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And you need to be immersed in water for the remission of sins. Tons of verses talking about being immersed. If you don't want to believe any of the other ones, just at least believe the one Jesus says when He says you should do it, Mark 16, 15 and 16. And Peter says it saves, okay? That's how you should have become a Christian. If you didn't do that, revert back to Acts 19, verses 1 through 6, where Paul says, Under what then were you baptized? Let me rephrase it. Under what then were you baptized? As a Methodist? Oh, that's not in the Bible. Let me teach you again. Under what then were you baptized? Like me, growing up, I was a Catholic. Oh, that's not in the Bible. Paul would have taught you again. Under what were you baptized? I'm a Pentecostal. Oh, that's not in the Bible. Let me teach you again. I use the example of Paul to say what you were taught is wrong. Let me teach you again, then be immersed scripturally. If you're watching this online and you've done something like the sinner's prayer or whatever, whatever doctrine it is you're following, go back, read the Bible, just do what the Bible says. If you haven't done that, you need to. Be more than happy to study with you or set you up with a congregation, a faithful congregation in your area to study with you. As I draw this to a close, if you're here and you're a Christian, ask yourself how well you've been doing, one, living according to the faith, and two, contending for it. If there's a way we can assist you in any way, you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.